I want to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15 again. 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, we'll be picking up in verse 20 tonight. Okay. Um, let me just say real quick, because uh, we'd mentioned Wednesday night um, uh, about uh, just one couple of things about Danny and Jody. Um, I did get to speak with them this week, all right. And uh, just for those of you that were asking, they are. Uh, um, well, I'm not sure where they're where they're going, but they're but they're looking at. He's looking at doing a couple of other internships at. He's looking at two other churches that he's thinking about doing internships at. And I just wanted to say personally myself a word of thanks to y'all for uh, for for that opportunity and for allowing uh, you know when I asked if it was about him coming and all everybody was was uh, more than happy to to uh, do that and, and and just as always seems to be the case to me you know when when folks are here they get treated uh, pretty much like family so of course I know you know everybody's known Danny a long time <laughs> but still um, that seems to be the the habit and I appreciate that very much and just wanted to say thanks okay first Corinthians 15. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But in each, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection... It is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Okay, we're going to stop there, because we'll be doing good if we get that far. Uh, probably, but we'll see. We might. Um, some of that does need to be taken together, if, if possible. So, uh, Paul's been making his argument here for the reality of the resurrection, 
And, and again, uh, just to be clear, not only the, the, rea- the reality of the resurrection of Jesus um, 2,000 years ago, but he's speaking of the doctrine of the resurrection. In other words, Jesus was resurrected and then it carries with it implications. We're going to be resurrected at all. And if you do away with the doctrine of the resurrection, if you do, if you do away with the reality of the resurrection period, then you eliminate the resurrection of Christ also. And, uh, and then, so Paul's shown us that, and then he's shown us, um, again, the consequences of that. It robs us of all hope. But the reality is, he goes back to in verse 20, you know, he's, he's kind of been working on their, um, their thesis here. He's been using what, what they have said, there's no resurrection, uh, and, and then going through all the implications of it. Now he's shifting back to the, to the reality. But in fact, or but now, Christ has been raised from the dead. So Paul's saying this is this is just a fact. He's he's if he's not if there's no resurrection. Here again is just real quick the logic. If there's no resurrection, then Christ wasn't raised. And if Christ wasn't raised, then you and I aren't going to be raised. And all hope is lost. We're still in our sins. When we die, we perish. So now, again, Paul's bringing us back to the truth. Christ has been raised, and therefore there's great reason for hope. So, which is the case that he'll make. And he's going to do a couple of things here. He's, one, in the verses that we just read, he's, he's just going to speak about um, the reality and, and beyond that as well. But he's just going to speak about the reality of the resurrection. Again, the, the one to come, you and I. Uh, what it what it means, and then he's going to go on to talk about the nature of it. Uh, in other words, how are we raised? Um, how are the dead raised? Is the way he says it in verse thirty five, and that's uh, uh, indeed an interesting topic. Um, it's it's one of those places though where you don't get a uh, a whole lot of detail. I mean, this is the most detail we, we're going to get probably uh, in the scripture regarding the resurrection. And, and what it means for us to be in resurrected form. But even here, it's, it's what we're told is very limited. Um, so it's not like somebody uh, has experienced the bodily resurrection and then come back to tell us what it's like, right? Um, so, so our information here is, is hidden, so to speak, in God. So we get very little information. But we do get what, is, what we need to know, what's important. All right, so he says Christ has been raised. This is the fact. That Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And again, the term fallen asleep is just a euphemism for death. So he's talking about he, he's the first fruit of those who have died. Um, what are the first fruits? You remember the, the Old Testament law where they bring in the first fruits, you know, the, 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 the part of the crop, the portion of the crop that, that, is, that produces first. Bring that in first. And of course, I'm not a farmer. I never lived on a farm, but I'm sure that was uh, an exciting time when you're waiting, waiting, waiting for the crop, and then you finally, finally produce. We have had gardens, and, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's good when it starts producing, right? Finally get the first fruits. Well, in the Old Testament, you know, those would be uh, offered, uh, a tenth would be offered to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord, and representative of the whole crop. So, you know, you got the, the first fruits come in, you take it, and it belongs to the Lord, and, and uh, it's, 
it, it, again, it represents the, uh, the bounty of the whole crop. There's more to come, so to speak. These are just the first fruits. Well, he's saying Christ has been raised the first fruits from the dead, from those who have fallen asleep. So, it's, it's like an, an assurance. Because Christ is raised, there's more to follow. Get the first roots of the crop in, you know that, especially if it's good, you know there's more coming. Now, he says, he begins to make the case here on that point. For as by a man came death, verse 21, for as by a man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Death entered the world how? Through a man, Adam, the first Adam. As by a man, that is Adam, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So Paul's saying it's happening in like fashion. Adam stood as our representative and he failed. He died. The Lord said, the day that you eat of the fruit, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And not only did Adam bring death upon himself and his own family, his spouse, his family at the time, of course, was two, right? Their, their family reunions were very small. <clears throat> um, so not only did he bring death upon himself, but he brought death upon all of us. came through one man. Now, Paul is, is saying it, it, it happens with the resurrection in like manner. So we go into death by means of one man, but, th- but then it affects all. He was just, again, he was just the first fruits, so to speak, of, of death in that case. And we are made alive by one man, Jesus Christ. As by man came death, by man has also come uh, come also the resurrection of the dead, or out of the dead. I always like that. In the Greek, it's literally out of. We're, we, are, we are raised, raised up, out of the dead. <laughs> That's a great picture. Oh, man, you just picture somebody coming out, coming out of the tomb, so to speak. Coming out of the pit. So... We are raised up out of the dead. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, two, two things here. This, this may slow us down a bit, but I think this is important. Um, this, is, this is death and life, Adam and Christ, Death by means, death for us by means, and life for us by means. So it's, so it's by means, and it's by imputation. Um, it's, it's by means in the, in the sense that we just talked about. In other words, how did, how did death come to you and me? Through a man, Adam. And the whole human race was affected by what Adam did. That's, that's how death came into our experience through the fall of Adam. Through the fall of Adam. That's, that is a hard truth 
um, to cope with. It's not all that hard to understand, but it's hard to cope with. And, and it really, there's a principle there that carries over, I think, for us when it comes to, to uh, practical living. When I sin, now, now, now this is just a principle, I'm not, I'm not relating it directly to, to, the, to Adam's case, but when I sin, other people are affected. And there's no escaping that. Other people are always affected. Just a side note, but I mean that's good for us to remember when 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 we want to be selfish, you know, when when we want to, um, like Burger King, you know, have it my way. There's no way around hurting other people when I do that. It, it's just it's just a, a reality. It's just a fact. That's that's the way things are. It's the way we. That's the world we live in. Other people are affected. Now, in this case, uh, in, a, in a huge way, in, a, in an extremely tragic way, Adam stood in the Garden of Eden as what we call federal head. That just means he stood as our representative, representative of the whole human race, which, of course, didn't exist yet, but would proceed from him. So when Adam sinned, all of his progeny was affected, without exception, except, of course, Jesus Christ, the only, the only person who's ever uh, lived without sin, the only human being that's ever lived without sin entirely is Jesus. Other than Jesus, all, all of humanity has been affected by Adam's sin. Now here, that's the bad news. And nobody escapes that. That happens by means. Sin, death, came into the world by a man. And it happens by imputation. In other words, um, Adam's sin, because he stood as our representative, is put to our account. So it's, there's a sense in which it's, it's, it's translated through um, generation, you know, it comes down just, you know, human, the human species, <laughs> procreation. Um, somehow, the sin nature is transmitted. Don't ask me how. There are all kinds of theories out there. I mean, I know about some of the theories. I just don't buy uh, most any of them that I hear. Um, but there are theories out there, um, but it's all speculation. But we do know this. It, it passes. It passes from one generation to, the, to another. We're all sinners. Nobody in this room is exempt from that because Adam sinned and death entered through that one man and also by imputation, his sin goes to our account. And that's all we mean by the word, word imputation. It's a powerful word, but uh, it's just like if, if all of a sudden, um, you know, uh, Bill Gates or somebody, you know, just, just said, um, well, you know what, I'm just going to take my assets and put them to your account. Well, you've, you've gone instantly to being a, a, you know, from wherever you're at now to being a billionaire. Maybe that's a pay cut. I don't know. But his, his assets are put to your account. That's what we mean by imputation. So what Adam did was put to our account. Now, a lot of people have a really big problem with that. That's why I said it's hard to cope with. It's hard to cope with. A lot of, a lot of people, I remember um, one time in Sunday school, and it's, Nobody that is here. It was just somebody that was at one time. One one 
uh, a person in Sunday school raised an objection to that. And this is the verse that I, that I took them to. Because um, that's unfair. It sounds unfair. But let me say this. And this is going to lead us into the rest of this verse. Um, if, if you cannot accept the imputation of Adam's sin to yourself, to all of us, then why would you accept the imputation of Christ's righteousness to yourself? I mean, they, they work on the same principle. It's, it's something somebody else did that affects you, either in, a posi- either in a negative way or in a positive way. So I think the reality is, you know, whether we, we like it or not, or whether we have trouble with it or not, or have trouble coping with it or not, the reality is, by a man came death, for, verse 22, in Adam all die. So the whole human race died in Adam, even though, you know, uh, we didn't even exist. Um, but, but we inherited his sin nature in the death that um, he incurred. Okay? So in Adam all die. That is definitely an all inclusive statement. In Adam all die. Now, here's the good news. Again, back to verse 21. For as by man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That is, to be raised up, the resurrection out of the dead. By, by man came death, put us among the dead, and by man came our being raised up out of the dead. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So Paul's saying it, again, it's the same principle, it works the same way. And I think, again, his, his reason for making this whole point is, is to show that the resurrection of Christ, which the Corinthians did accept, has certain effects, results. That is, we too are raised. And that's what they did not accept. The bodily resurrection of Christ produces, or it affects us and produces results uh, for us. I think that's the connection he's making. So, in Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, let me say this. I think, um, and I want to be careful here, but I'm, I'm, you weigh this out. But I, I think that, you see the little word all there? And Adam all die and Christ all may. I think the, the alls are different. In other words, they're not talking about the same group of people. I was just reading a commentator this morning that said, I wish I could quote it verbatim, it was a short, short sentence, but I still forgot it. Uh, how it was how it was worded, but but essentially what he said was, all means all in both cases. You know, well, as far as I know, the man that wrote that was not a universalist, and you know, I'm not sure how he uh, how he got around that. It looks like to me, if, it, if if well, I'm I'm gonna give you two options. Like I say, you weigh it out. First of all, it may just mean this: in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So in Adam, all who are dead die in Adam. And in Christ, all who are made alive 
are made alive in Christ. In other words, maybe just Paul saying, this is the means. He's not, he's not really putting a great emphasis on the fact that, it, that it's on the term all. It's everybody. But he's just saying, this is the means. Everybody that's dead is dead in Adam. Which is certainly true. And everybody that's alive, made alive, is made alive in Christ. We, we die in Adam if we die, and we are made alive in Christ if we are made alive. And again, that, that's certainly true. And, and that may be what he's getting at here. I'm going to give you a, a second possibility, and, and, and it's very similar, but just a little nuanced. And, and it may be that the key here is relation. In other words, there would be some emphasis on the word in, right? So, in other words, let me just, just for, just for the sake of explanation, let me rephrase it. For all who are in Adam die. And so also, all who are in Christ shall be made alive. Or the way R.F. Gates used to say it, all who are related to Adam die. And all who are related to Christ live. You know, you're made alive. You're resurrected. I think um, both of those explanations are, are good. Um, I, I've, I've always leaned toward the second one. It, it, it seems like to me that, that that's the idea here. Um, but again, possibly the first. Maybe he's just really, maybe what Paul's emphasizing is the means. Adam is the means of death. Christ is the means of resurrection. Either way, here's the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm getting, gathering this from the rest of, of Scripture. Um, and this is why I go, you know, tend to lean toward the second one. Everybody who's in Adam, dead. May not be physically dead yet, but spiritually dead. Walking dead. Walking dead, like zombies. Everybody in Adam. That is, if you're not a born-again believer, you're, you're still identified with Adam. That's, that's your identity. That was my identity before Christ saved me. I didn't know that. You know, people asked me who I was, and I said, well, you know, I'm a son of Adam. You know, I, I probably never said that. I wasn't making that connection. You know, they do that in Chronicles of Narnia. It's kind of neat, you know. Son of Adam. But I don't think I ever did that. Um, but that's the truth for all un- unbelievers. That's, that's your identity solely. I mean, it's connected. Well, I, you know, I started to spell it, but I, you, I think it's true either way. You can spell it S-O-L-E, solely, which is what I meant. But you can spell it S-O-U-L. <laughs> it probably still works. Solely, our identity was with Adam. Did. Everybody that's in Adam. And this is the way that the New Testament talks a lot about, about um, identity and relationship. In fact, a lot of times when, when you see passages that talk about uh, believing in Christ, in the Greek, the, 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 um, the preposition there is actually into. Into Christ. I mean, so you, know, you just kind of get this picture of being like... Go into the house, being, actually being inside of something. We're in Adam in our natural state, and that means we're walking dead. But 
all who are in Christ. Now, you, now do you see the difference in the alls? You know, all who are in Adam versus all who are in Christ. Now, all who are in Adam, that's every single human being who's ever walked the planet except Jesus. But other than Jesus, and I just want to be clear on that, but other than Jesus, there is no exception. Sometimes people think they are. You know, They don't think they're a sinner or they don't think they're a very bad sinner. One reason we don't understand that is because we don't understand the seriousness of Adam's sin and what we've inherited. Kind of like uh, you know the old saying, "Your name is mud." You know where that comes from? Anybody? Come on, Ronnie. You watch the History Channel. <laughs> you missed that one. I don't remember his first name, but Doctor Mud was was the man that that uh, treated um, uh, Booth, the, the guy that shot Abraham Lincoln. What's his name? John Wilkes Booth. The doctor that he went to that treated him was named Mud. His last name, and that's where that saying comes from, because it brought shame on his family. And so, so they would say, you know, your your name is is Mud. Well, we don't realize the shame we've inherited. We don't realize the seriousness of Adam's sin and what we what we have um, inherited as his progeny. The truth is, in Adam, you're dead. And that's every single human being ever. All. So in that case, the all is definitely all-inclusive. In Adam, all die. Or, again, for explanation, all who are in Adam die. Everybody identified with Adam. Everybody connected with Adam. And, and I won't take time to go there tonight, but you, you go read Romans 5 and 6, and Paul expounds on this concept even more. All who are in Adam die. Now, here's the good news again. Because remember, as um, by one man, rather, death came, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. And now, in verse 22, you get that kind of reiterated, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all be made alive. So again, just for explanation, all who are in Christ are made alive. And again, I think that's Paul's, Paul's whole point here. The resurrection, Paul is saying, the physical bodily resurrection is an objective reality. Paul's saying it is. This is part of the Gospel that we preached to you. He said a few verses back. Something like verse, uh, verse 11. This is the Gospel that we preached to you and the Gospel that you believe. The, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is an objective reality. Now, what that means, Paul argues, is that Jesus really was raised from the dead, and so the intended effects must happen. And this is what he's arguing against the Corinthians. They're saying, okay, Jesus, at least what we glean from the text is that they're probably saying, we accept the resurrection of Jesus, but we don't believe in a bodily resurrection of believers. Paul says, because Jesus was raised, <laughs> believers will be raised. Just as through one man death came, and all die in Adam, 
Well, Paul's saying it works the same way. Through one man, we're resurrected. Resurrection comes. And all who are in Christ are made alive. But each in his own order. I know we're about out of time. I'll try to move through this part quickly. Because that basically gives us the foundation anyway. Um, verse 23, But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruit. So he's, he's re- repeating that. What he said in verse 20. He's saying there's, there's an order. There, what God has intended and planned must come to pass, but it's going to happen in order. So first there was the resurrection of Christ. Christ the firstfruits. Then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. And that's what we are looking for. Right? I mean, we may, we may die physically before that happens, but we're not resurrected until He's coming. We're not going to be bodily resurrected until His coming. Now, when we die, you know, Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. So, I know this sounds a little strange, but again, it's kind of hard for us to understand um, heavenly things when, when we're just used to living here. Um, but... To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. So, so when we die, there's a separation that takes place between our soul and our body. And we go on in soul and spirit to be present with the Lord in a non-corporal form. That is, bodiless. Now, many of the early... Uh, especially the Gnostics and, and uh, the, those upon whom they had influence. There's a lot of speculation that this is uh, uh, where the Corinthians were going with this, their line of thought. Many of them thought that was a good thing. We've got to get out of this body. This body's sinful, it's bad, it's earthly. We've got to escape this. And that, we're, we're looking for the time when we're going to escape the body. And Paul is basically saying, no, you ought to be looking for the time when you are reunited with your body, but it's in a glorified state. What we want to be separated from is the experience of sin. And there, and there will be an existence, a bodily existence for us without sin. So Paul is saying, um, we're, we're, we're going to be resurrected when Christ comes. So, but it's going to happen in order. First, there's the resurrection of Christ. He's the first fruits, verse 23. Then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. Now that's one reason I say that the, that the two alls in verse 22 are not the same. Because notice how he says that here. He doesn't say that everybody's going to be resurrected when Christ comes. He says those who belong to Christ. Now there's, there's a sense in which it's true. Everybody, well, everybody will be resurrected, but some to eternal damnation and some to eternal life. But, but Paul's speaking specifically here about the case of believers and, and being made alive and uh, uh, forever being in the presence of the Lord. So, so notice he qualifies it. He narrows it. At His coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For He must reign until He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is Death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we don't have 
our glorified state now, it, it, it awaits that final day when the last enemy is put under the feet of Christ, that last enemy is death, and then we experience bodily resurrection and live in sinless existence with the Lord forever. Verse 27, For God has put all things in subjection under His feet, that is, under Christ's feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He accepted. Uh, he is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. In other words, Paul is simply saying is, God the Father is going to put all things in subjection to Christ, under the feet of Christ. Well, Paul saying it's obvious, God the Father is accepted from that. The one who puts all things in subjection to Christ will not himself be put in subjection to Christ, right? So he goes on to say, verse 28, When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. Now here's the short of it. And again, all, all those last phrases there, <laughs> that's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot, a lot for our minds because... Uh, well, that's that's uh, another world for us. I mean, we we don't comprehend uh, everything that's going to take place there. Christ is exalted. Even Christ Jesus remains subjected to the Father. Verse twenty-eight: Who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. Probably a way of saying that that God is shown to be exalted, Lord, ruler, supreme in all things and overall. But, again, and I'm going to close with this. Here's what I think is Paul's main point. This is what we're looking for. The resurrection of the dead. Christ coming, bodily resurrection, the exaltation of Christ, the subjection of all things, including death, under His feet, and all things being reconciled unto God at the resurrection. That's when it's going to take place. So, in, in term, as far as the Corinthians are concerned, he's saying, if you're right, if there's no resurrection, then all of this is lost. All of these things are lost. I mean, we have nothing to look forward to. No hope. We die, we perish. But Paul's saying that's not the case. In fact, Christ is raised. And in fact, all who are in Christ will be raised. And all things will be brought in subjection to Him. And we will, and this we have to get as we go along. It's in the verses following where He talks about the nature of the resurrection. But, but we will live with Him in, glorify, in a glorified state through eternity without sin. Awesome. And that's... Why, why the resurrection is so important. You, you take that away and you've taken everything away. Our assurance of everything we just talked about here, all things being put under subjection to Christ, including death, the exaltation of Christ, living with Him, all of these things... are assured to us, that we're given assurance that all of these things are really going to be 
by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. His resurrection ensures our resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do again thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for uh, these promises. Thank you for this glimpse of eternity that you've given us in your word. The knowledge of eternal existence with you and sinless in a sinless state, no longer experiencing the effects of sin, no longer hindered by it, so that we may freely and fully worship you. And Lord, um, we ask that you help us to think on these things, be moved and changed by them in our affections, in our emotions, in our thinking, so that our lives are truly Christ-focused, Christ-centered, lived out with resurrection hope, resurrection power, for your glory, in Jesus' name.